Welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have Joe Sear. So cool to have you here today. The podcast is about helping people navigate divorce in a good way. And having stories, having people share their stories and how they navigate and have navigated divorce in a good way is one of my goals. And uh, to bring hope to people that are currently in this situation. And divorce can be so difficult. For me, it was definitely one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through in my whole life. And I saw your comment in the Facebook group and uh, you're quite active in navigating divorce currently. And you called your headline here, Life in the Box, Breaking Out. And you're gonna share a little bit about that in a minute. And uh, you're a full-time single dad of three girls. You are an army veteran with a tour in Afghanistan. You're a part-time dad blogger. I'd love to hear more about that. Certified coffee addict, I am too. And uh, a future restaurant owner who is currently in Dallas, Texas. And I'm in Dallas, Texas too. So that's pretty cool too. So Joe, I'm so happy that you're here today. It's so fun to interview people, get to know people via Zoom and to share your story with other people. And to start this podcast episode, I'd love to hear a story. You have a story to share a little bit about, like the initiation or a, a big change in your life. What is that story? So in February uh, 2018, I was seeking support and I just joined a, a support group. And I remember we went to a coffee meeting at a place called Nerdvana in North Dallas. And I went home that night and later on that night, I had a major stroke and oh, wow. woke up the next morning. I couldn't talk. I lost most of the eyesight, my, my right eye, and I could barely walk. And, and it was just, I, I didn't know really what was going on because I thought I was too young to have something like that. And come to find out I had two torn arteries in the back of my neck and they were mainly caused by high blood pressure and stress and things that were going on in my life. And, and that helped me to, that ultimately led me to a path of going to stroke recovery where I had to learn how to eat and to learn how to balance again. I had to learn how to do a lot of stuff that I'd never, never, like I totally took for granted the fact that I'd already known how to do all these things. And which also led me to make changes in my life that I'm like, okay, you know what? I started seeing a therapist during that time. I hit and rock bottom. I'm like, you know, my life's never going to be the same. I'm in this marriage and I, I don't want to be in it. And that's kind of what led me to be able to take the steps to change my life and and, and to get divorced and move on to being being a single dad and recover from just such a traumatic event that I could, it was actually a good thing. But looking back, it was over the last couple of years, just the way that it changed my entire life for, believe it or not, for the better to start oh, yeah. all over and, and be somebody new and, and say, okay, yeah, it, it put me in a position to, to get a, a job that I was already at my current position, but it gave me a chance to have a position to put me in the ability to be a full-time dad to my kids too, which was weird. It was like divine intervention, like the whole thing. Yeah. Sort of. It's crazy how difficult things sometimes can turn out to be a very good thing. And uh, a lot of times when I go through difficult things, I try to look for the gold nuggets in it. And uh, I truly believe that I didn't want divorce. Uh, I wanted to stay married my, my whole life, but it did happen. And I can say I've learned more about myself throughout this divorce and any other period of my whole life, even though it was the most difficult thing. But I was forced into dealing with myself, my own difficulties and, and shortcomings. 
And uh, I think divorce can be that catalyst for a lot of people, even though it's extremely difficult. But if you get the help, if you get the support around you, I think it can actually be that. And if you share a little bit more about your process in the divorce, I know that you've gone through a very difficult divorce. I've gone through a very difficult divorce too. And a lot of times, it's for me, it's been kind of like a mourning process. It's something that's ended. And my dad died 20 years ago, and that was very difficult. But this is, in many ways, much more difficult and a longer period of mourning. How has that affected you? Have you gone through, like most people that I talk to have gone through a lot of mourning, depression, suicidal thoughts, etc. I don't know if you had to deal with any of that. I definitely did. I've had my highs and lows. I was fortunate enough to have just joined that support group. So during that process, we were in marriage counseling whenever I decided to uh, file for divorce. And so that was, believe it or not, that was actually extremely helpful because I already had uh, somebody that I could talk to on a weekly basis that knew what was going on. Plus my support group was there for me, which was great. And that's what, what I love about the, like the Facebook group as well and the connection with people because it is difficult to, to do it yourself. And one of the most profound things that my counselor told me, you know, because it was hard. It was hard. Even though I, I wanted to get out of the situation I was in, I still wanted that sitting in the rocket chair life. Give it, I gave it everything I had. I gave it, I was married for 14 years. I, I literally gave it everything wow. I had to a point that it literally almost killed me. But she was very explicit to, to help me like with breathing techniques. But the most profound thing she said was, because I was all stressing out about how am I going to raise three girls all by myself wow. full time? This is going to, I was just losing it. And she's, you can think about that or you can do, you can think about what are you going to do in the next hour? Yeah. And then you can progress from, okay, so I got to get through this next hour of my day. And then you progress to, okay, now that I've gotten through that hour, how am I going to get through the rest of the day? Or how am I going to get through? It's minimizing those stressful moments to say, okay, yes, is life going to be stressful the next six months, year, 10 years? Yes. But at the moment, the only thing you really got to worry about, honestly, is getting through the next hour. And then you can take it hour by hour because Honestly, it, it for me is you never know when you're gonna just you never know what's gonna happen the next day. Not every day is promised to us, and I think focusing on getting through the next hour when I'm stressed out with my kids or my job or, or life when I'm going through that is is really what man that helped me out. That was it's it sounds simple, but then when somebody says it to you, you're like, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's like a good thing. but it, it reduces the overwhelm if you think long term like that. I, I have to deal with it too when it comes to fear. Initially in the divorce, I had so many things that I didn't have a work visa in, in the US. I had so many different things I was fearful from. And when you act in fear, you're not rational. That's why you need to have somebody else, a counselor, a coach, a, an awesome friend that you can talk to that can both call you all out on your BS and also to have a different perspective on your situation. And, and to be able to live now and not projecting all this fear of the future will help a tremendous amount. But it's not easy. It's a, a constant, I think, especially initially when you're in the middle of it. That was so hard for me because I didn't see the forward momentum. I felt like I was stuck initially the first year. But now when I look back five years later, I see all the progress. And that's why I just bring hope to people that are listening. There is a future. It's going to take some time. And start moving 
in the right direction, it's definitely going to bear fruit instead of just feeling sorry for yourself and just going down the wrong way down the, the vicious spiral. Uh, yeah, and that's where, where that life life in a box thing came from was everybody tries to put you inside a box. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to step outside this box and I'm going to live outside that box because I can do this. I can do this. I can. It's dads can do can do this too. It's raising girls are hard. I remember the first time I, I got into an argument with my daughter at the grocery store over tampons. <laughs> Need these tampons. And I'm like, why? The other ones are so much cheaper. They're store brand. Like, why can't you just get the other ones? And she's like, you got to get the the other ones. And I'm, it was like a 10 minute. And I was like, fine, you know what? I'll just, I gave in and I'll never forget that argument because, and then, and it's funny because I go to a lot of the moms and, and, and ask these questions and they're like, yeah, you probably should have just let that one slide. Yeah. <laughs> Choose like, your battles. You usually say. <laughs> That's definitely, I know way more about feminine products and Victoria's Secret, like, and underwear, like I know more about women's stuff than I ever knew when I was married. It was just, this is craziness because that's like all I'm surrounded. Uh, so. I commend you for that. Commend you for all the time that you, I've seen your posts, both uh, happy posts and frustrated posts in the, in the Facebook group and to raising four girls by yourself uh, most of the time. That's awesome. So share a little bit more about that life in the box breakout and, uh, that being a single dad, what is it like to be a single dad raising three kids all by yourself? I'm a part-time blogger. I found that blogging and writing and, and journaling or any kind of emotional vomiting to me is what I like to call it. Anywhere just helps me to process. It's one of my biggest processing methods. And so I'll go on there. I don't really have any readers, but that's okay. But my mom reads it, which is good. So it was on a webinar that we were doing. And the guy was talking about how he was also a writer, but nobody, it like when in my marriage, I wrote for, I've been writing for 15 years and, and, and it was never like embraced. Like the only, like it, it was the only person who embraced it was my mom and it wasn't any kind of support and it really sucked, but I still do it. And I still, cause I love to tell the stories about the, the crazy little things that there would be like the little things that you would do with your kids that you may remember, but if you don't write it down, you won't remember like the one time that the one time that you got into a fight over tampons. I'll be, I want to be able to, to remember that when it's, when my kids are 35 and I'm like, yeah. Hey, you remember that time that we were at the store and we got, we got argument over, over feminine products, but it, it's chaos. It's chaos. It's literal chaos from, at least for me of, of again, in the process of trying to after COVID because COVID was a big life change. Cause I had a full-time career. And then in March I was in the trade show industry, it shut down and I was at home for six months. And now I'm in the process of recreating with my new job, how to do it, how to get my teenagers to pitch in more and do their part on instead of it just being on me and and having that support from other people. Like, Why are you doing your teenagers laundry? And I'm like, Why am I doing my teenagers laundry? Like, she can question. fold her own laundry. Yeah. Like, I always thought it was like I always thought I had to do everything. And I'm realizing that I don't have to do everything. And sometimes I end up putting more pressure on myself to do and be like the only source of everything like i don't have to be the only one that cooks they can have cereal they can they can make their own ramen noodles and my kids love ramen noodles i mean there's i keep a steady stock of it but it's chaos because it's girls and it's chaos because it's unique for the dad to be the full-time parent and yeah. it's a lot of grace so that's probably the biggest like grace for me and grace for them we got into an argument this morning in my car and driving and, and I ended up texting them later. I'm like, look, you know, I'm sorry. I was frustrated. And it's a lot of, you know, talking things out to having grace yeah. for them because no, they're not perfect. They are kids. Or they're going to screw up and admitting my own mistakes. I think a lot of times, I don't know about all parents, but a lot of parents don't admit their own mistakes. Yeah. And I think that's like super important that 
you do recognize your own faults and you do go to your kids and you say, like I told them this morning, I apologize. I, I, I got a little bit more upset than I should have. And I, I please forgive me. I, I don't want to. I think that's important. I think that's important for. I think that's so awesome parenting. to hear uh, that owns their mistakes, owns their shortcomings and are open and being able to communicate with the kids. And uh, also that you ask for help, both like you shared, going to a therapist, going to get help, because we guys have a hard time sometimes to ask for help. And it's nothing wrong. It's quite opposite. It's uh, to ask for help, I think, is strength and wisdom. This shows that you're a real man when you can ask for help. And I think that's so awesome to hear guys that are willing to open up, be vulnerable about their shortcomings. And that's so attractive, too, to hear somebody that can actually share that they made a mistake, own it, and learn from it. And um, going through the, the divorce and also the journey both before and after, what have you learned? Is it something that sticks out uh, that I, or uh, going through the, the divorce, like you made mistakes or that other people can learn from. You mean mistakes in the, in the marriage or just mistakes overall? No, in the divorce process mainly. So I had a bit of a unique divorce, but it would be like looking back, I, I was, so even though things were rough and, and I had a reason to I do the things I did to protect my kids, I still allowed a lot of spite to get in there. And I was lucky enough that my lawyer is a wise guy. Like he told me a couple of things. He said, you can't control what the other parent does. You can't make them to be a good parent. You just can't make the other parent be a good parent. And there were certain times when he would just tell me, he would like, sometimes lawyers just want to dig in, but he was like, it was, he, he wants what's best for everybody. And, and he's like, you don't want to be the guy that takes your kids away from the mom completely. You want to do, you want to be the guy who tries to work on the relationship be the co-parent, still involve the other parent as much as you can. You don't want to be that guy. But even though I'm your lawyer and I'm I'm here, he said, you, you don't want to be that guy. You want to be the one to, you want to be the better person. You want to be the one yeah. who's showing an example for your kids, no matter what. And that was, that was weird to come from somebody I'm paying $400 an hour to. There was some times where he straight up told me, no, that's not a good idea. That's not good for you as a person is, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't just about business. He's the one that even helped me to initiate co-parenting therapy for my kids and, and us now, regardless of, of what's happened, because he knows everything is you still want your kids and their mom and, and you to have a healthy relationship no matter what. And so, yeah, probably it's easy to allow that anger and that spite to dictate decisions that ultimately are just dumbass decisions to begin with because you're just doing it because you're mad. It's, oh, yeah. I want the frying pan. Like We got into an argument over a pot. <laughs> like It was like this this, so this cast iron pot, which I still have, by the way, but it was like this argument. It's like, why? And then ultimately, I'm like, I'm arguing over a pot. It's, it's, is it that big of a deal? But it just, it ends up being all these little things that you're arguing over, which are just, it's useless because you're looking at, okay, we didn't get along in our marriage. We aren't going to make this work. So I can either choose to hate you for the rest of my life, because I think one of the other guys talked about like that, where it's either I can choose to hate you for the rest of my life, or I can choose to move on, be healthy, and allow you to make your own decisions on how you want to act. But I need to choose to be healthy and not let that anger and spite to drive every decision I make. Yeah, that's, uh, that's important. And to be able to listen and take in advice from other people, initially, that was uh, definitely a struggle for me. 
because uh, I acted in fear. My wife, she filed for joint custody, but because of my immigration status, I acted in fear because I, my lawyer said, the only way to be able to see your kids is gonna be if you get full custody. So I filed for full custody and that enters so much fear into my ex-wife, etc. that brought up a bunch of other things, etc. And uh, then finally, after a few weeks, a friend of mine told me, hey, you really need to wake up. This is not going a good way. And uh, I ended up firing my lawyer because he was very aggressive. And uh, I had hired him because he was uh, supposedly a good lawyer, but he overstepped. He called my wife a whore in court. That is not okay. I fired him the next day and got a lawyer and changed my filing to joint custody and removed everything else, just a plain joint custody. But it's still uh, a lot of fear. And I think a lot of it stems from that initiation of the, the divorce. It's very sad. I initially had full custody. I could have had whatever I wanted. And and my lawyer was like, bro, you don't want to be that guy. Let her have the first and third weekends. And then she wanted like an extra day. And he's like, is it really worth it? They're still, the kids are, it's still their mom. As long as they're safe. Still, And I was like, and part of me was, at that point, it was over, over protection. It was like, I'm just going to do it because I'm mad. And he's like, you don't want to be that guy. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to be that guy. So a few other things that we want to touch on. What was your biggest fears about divorce? For example, for me, I had a lot of shame even before the divorce because we had a lot of problems and we were going to church where I felt the church, they didn't say that divorce was not an option, but they talked so much about staying married. So I felt like divorce was this huge failure. And it took me a long time to work through this shame about the divorce. I don't know, what, what fears were, uh, did you have about the divorce? I grew up in a, in a divorced household. Uh, my parents okay. got divorced when I was 12, so I was actually used to it. And But probably, yeah, it was raising my kids on my own, trying to figure out. So, cause it's, so I was the bread, I was the only person that had a job in our divorce. Yeah. Like she worked a little bit cleaning houses, but it wasn't like, we didn't have like that dual income. It was just me. And my biggest fear was at the time was how can I get divorced have a full-time job, pick my kids up from school, drop them off, make sure, how can I balance that? Like, how can you, because it's, it just seemed impossible. Like it literally seemed impossible at the time because even the job I had at the time, I was working weekends and nights and that was where that divine intervention came into where I actually got after my stroke. I was actually, I stayed at the company I was in, but then I moved into a new position that allowed me that freedom to take care of my kids. But it was, and, and I think not having support, when you think about the difference between dealing with a situation with your kid or dealing with any kind of scenario, like what if I got to take them to a doctor? Like I was used to being the one that was at work and she would do that. And I was like, how am I going to do that? How am I going to take my kid to the doctor appointment? If I got to work, how am I going to, because I I have a really heavy or um, like I'm my own worst enemy to where I feel like I, I have to constantly be the best at everything. Like I can't, take off work because I got to be the guy who's always here. And I can't, I got to be the guy who's always doing everything for everybody. And that was my fear was, can I still be the guy and raise kids at the same time by myself? What if I fail? What if I'm, yeah. what if I screw something up? What if I, my kids are late to school? What if I can't pick them up? What if I miss one of the recitals or cheerleading or whatever, any of those things. It just felt like it was the fear of that failure and failing my kids, like my biggest 
fear, I guess, would be failing my kids because yeah, being a dad and raising girls, it's like, it, are they going to be screwed up? Are they going to be in, in counseling when they're 35 because they got daddy issues? Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It seems like you're doing an amazing job and uh, maybe you're just a little bit of a perfectionist or whatever you want to call it, but you seem to, uh, to really uh, have the, it, your heart shows all over the place. So that's important. I think your girls feel that. But sometimes I have two teenage girls myself. I have four kids. My two youngest are girls and uh, they're 18 and 16. And there are definitely hormones uh, going on. And it's a period uh, where it goes up and down. And I think for me, it's been very important to look long term. This is one season of life and to really reconnect with the kids. For me, it's been very different. I don't have the custody of the kids most of the time. My ex-wife do. And to stay connected through very difficult co-parenting has been hard. But for me to not being lonely and depressed, I really had to start looking long term and seeing, okay, my kids are going to grow up. I'm going to have an awesome relationship with them, even though it's very difficult right now. So that's my coping throughout not seeing my kids. Surprisingly enough, I I am just as lonely and depressed being around my kids all the time as I am without them because I don't have a dating life. I don't have much of a social life because every night my kids have to spend the night at my house. And so, so I don't have much of my social network is on the social network. Like it's like that. And it's just as lonely. I joke about it, but I'm like, I'm just going to be single for the rest of my life because when am I ever going to have time to have a girlfriend? When am I going to have time to, to have somebody that is in my life? Because I just don't have that balance. It's like, it's just as bad because I'm, I'm just going to be alone forever. And yeah. I, I'm not, but you know, it's like, it's, I think about that sometimes where I'm like, would I be able to add a relationship to my crazy life and it's man it's tough it's it sometimes it makes me sad sometimes but uh, you should listen to the dating podcast it's a really good panel with me tiercy brian and amber they're all from the facebook group and we had a very good talk about dating and for me i started dating way too early i started dating the day the the divorce papers were signed i went started dating but i started dating because i was lonely and i realized a year later that this is not the way to start dating. So I took two years off, no dating whatsoever. And just recently started dating again, five years later. I'm going to do that this year. That's what part of being in a support group is. Yeah, that's not something that they tell you unless you're in, unless you're people that's gone through it is it's because you're right. A lot of people, they just jump right into it. And it's, there's not like a manual that says, oh, hey, you need to heal so you can be a whole yeah. person before you start dating again. Yeah. Like sometimes you, you learn that and sometimes you don't. Man, dating is so hard, but yeah. it's... No, I, I think it's very important to really heal and being okay to be alone too. That took me a couple of years to be able to be okay to be by myself, not feeling lonely and depressed. And because just a couple of years ago, I, I started feeling a lot better being by myself, not needing somebody else. And that's when I felt, okay, now I'm ready to start dating. Going through a divorce takes time. And when you're in the middle of it, it, it feels like it's time standing still and you're not making progress. And that's a message I want to share with people that it, you're, even though it feels like it, you're not going anywhere, you are moving as long as you start starting taking steps getting maybe a counselor or reaching out to some close friends that you really trust or a coach and a mentor, having people around you, have a support group. And the same thing for somebody that, like you, Joe, that you're parenting full-time to, to get help. It's not wrong to ask for help. 
and probably speaking more to guys than, than women, I think women has a little easier time to ask for help. And that was the same thing with Chris. He, he mentioned that in my last podcast episode. That's one of his hardest thing is to feel like you're a bother. And I felt like that. And my counselor said, oh, you shouldn't feel like that. Just ask a few friends that to call you. And because I didn't feel like I wanted to call them. I felt like I was bothering them. And I, I just said it right out. I need you to call me. These are my best friends. I need you to call me. This was going through initially in the divorce because I was so lonely. I was depressed. I just needed somebody to check up on me. And that was awesome. I, I have a Tuesday night support group that I go to. It's a recovery group, but just for mixed people for different reasons. And they've almost become like my second family because it's like people in person versus online. And then I do have a, I have a full-time counselor. I meet with her on, every week and I, we can text back and forth. And it's that was something I... I wasn't doing it first, but I I jumped into it because I was so focused on, and I think a lot of people, parents fail to do is, oh, my kidney counseling, my kidney counseling, and they get their kids counseling and they get their kids therapy. And then the parents are just like, we don't do anything. Like we yeah. just feel like I would just, and then we're, it's the kids are getting healthy and then the parents aren't getting healthy and it's so bad. Like it, and, and I joke about my Tuesday night group. Cause I'm like, well, it's free daycare for at least an hour and a half. So I just, <laughs> I just get away from my kids for at least an hour and a half and sit with adults, but it's been a lifesaver. Man. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love to hear guys say that because I, I hear so many guys now, nah, I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to get a counselor. A lot of pride. I think it's involved. And uh, just lose that pride. Don't ask for help. Yeah. It is a lot of pride. Now, uh, we're going to switch the subject and touch a little bit on PTSD. And we already talked about therapy and stroke recovery. But how did you deal with PTSD? And what is PTSD? I heard the word. And I know mostly from war trauma. But That's you also what... shared about different things that you have been affected by that. And how did you deal with it? And why did you get it? That's what a lot of people equate it to. I did have some PTSD after Afghanistan, but a lot of people, they do, they think that it's only, oh, it's just like soldiers and cops or whatever. It's, but no, if you go through a very traumatic experience that causes stress and can actually, like it was part of what led up to my stroke was really huge spikes in blood pressure and, and the stress that I was dealing with on a daily basis. I mean, stress will kill you, literally. And not, not to go too deep, but yeah, there was infidelity in my marriage. My ex-wife was diagnosed with uh, bipolar later in the marriage after things had gone on that were, and I don't know what people know about. So bipolar, there's two different kinds, but there's, and they go through what's called manic episodes. And, and they're, it's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde scenario where it is a chemical imbalance and they do things that even sometimes they don't even realize they're doing, they, they do very like off color things. Like they'll just go and do crazy stuff and then realize what's going on. They'll come down from that manic episode and come back to being the person that they were before. And the things that were happening were extremely traumatic, you know, yeah. experiences and dealing with that is a big deal because especially if those things happen. So like for me personally, my PTSD centers around infidelity and things that within the marriage where there's like places I can't go, uh, because of it, because it brings up stress and it brings up anxiety, things that transpired with other people that were not in the marriage that were outside of that. And so there's like a movie theater I can't go to. There's like a, there's a certain Starbucks that I I won't even go anywhere near because it just brings up, uh, it's almost like if you were abused as a child and you had to go back to your childhood at home. Yeah, it's just a home. But at the same time, it brings back very traumatic experiences. It can bring on physical pain in, in some ways, and it's but it, it's something that has to be like there's it's something that's got to be dealt with because you can't just ignore it. 
that's what a lot of suicidal stuff comes from is people not dealing with their traumatic experiences. And my, my daughter is, is also suffered from the same disorder and she's got some PTSD from certain things that, that transpired and she spent some time in, in a hospital and she spent some time in like group therapy with other people that dealt with similar experiences and somebody who hasn't dealt with infidelity. They can't relate. They have no idea what it's like. And then you have to be, and you have to deal with and talk with people that have gone through similar experiences to get the kind of help that you need. Absolutely. That was my, going through the divorce and uh, initially in the, the divorce, I had so much shame about the divorce. And uh, when I reached out to, I reached out to four friends, two of the friends had gone through divorce before. And I could feel that they actually heard me. The other people, they listened and they were awesome, but couldn't feel like that they really understood what I was going through. And it's great to have somebody that's actually gone through a similar thing to feel that you're actually connecting with them. But I'd love to talk about this more about the PTSD in the future episode and mental disorders, mental illness, because it's so rampant in society. And it affects relationships in a very difficult way. I agree. It totally yeah. does. Yeah. And it was, and, um, like I embraced it at first because we, because it, it had led to some of the infidelity and I was, I was like, okay. And I, I got done and I didn't know anything about it until I experienced it. And then I would go to her therapy appointments with her. I did everything I could to support her and that during the time. So I could learn more about it. And I read books about it and I understood how to deal with, with somebody like that. And, and it just never ended up being what it needed to be and it was just it ended up being just too much but yeah was she open to talking about it and getting help or was she avoiding that (sighs) it was a a mix of both there's some therapists that just give you medicine like a cocktail of medicine which is important but then if you don't actually deal with the trauma if you don't actually deal with the things that happened if you don't sit down and deal with a counselor or, or, or a trained therapist and actually deal with the root it takes time i meet with my counselor once a week and we've been meeting for months but you can only get so much done within an hour without digging and and a lot of people think i can just go to therapy for a month and everything will be fine it's like no sometimes it's if you got to unravel 30 years where the life experiences the digger you dig because that was one of the other things i realized is in my relationships a lot of the things that i deal with even with my my once i started dating i realized there's things that i haven't dealt with and then even in my marriage, looking back at my marriage, there was things that I didn't deal with as a kid. Like I was adopted and growing up was rough and I didn't deal with those things, which didn't make me a healthy adult, which yeah. now, and so now I'm trying to unravel 35 years worth of, <laughs> worth of experiences. And that is not something you can do in four counseling sessions. It's something that takes a lot of time to get down to the root of how to how can you be healthy and deal with that stuff it takes a lot of time and it's almost like personal training you could pay for a personal trainer yeah you're going to pay extra money but you know what you're going to get better results by absolutely for a personal uh, trainer than you are doing it on your own yeah i'm a life coach myself and if you look at athletes for example to be able to be an awesome athlete you don't have any athletes that does not have a coach and to have somebody to guide you and also to a lot of times you have blind spots that you can't see yourself and to have somebody look at the different perspective and, and share their thoughts of what's going on is extremely helpful and can shorten this period in, in, in a big way for me counseling was it was actually the court that suggested it so we wrote it into our divorce decree and it was like you said it was counseling for the kids 
but I ended up getting counseling by the same person and she was awesome. And then I got a coach and a mentor as well fairly quickly thereafter. And that was so helpful throughout this process. And I didn't realize it until looking back later how much that impacted my life. I don't think a lot of people take depression as seriously as they do. I don't think even my like my daughter was like, oh, I didn't know you had depression. It is, it's a disease. It's a mental, like you take antidepressants for a reason. Like it, it's not a happy pill. It doesn't make you feel better. It, what it does is it, it keeps the, the good stuff from leaving your brain, like the good, yeah. ser- I think serotonin or whatever. And, and a lot of men mostly are the ones who want to tough that shit out and just yeah. be like, oh, I'm not depressed. It's like depressed is not being sad and lonely. It is, but it's a symptom. But being being depressed is is hopeless, and it's and you can get like that, especially if you're by yourself. And and alcohol is not a cure, and depression is a big deal. And I think a lot of people ignore, and it's important. And pretty much every single person I've interviewed have gone through similar things. For example, end up not having a lot of time with the kids, going from having a lot of time to having little or no time with the kids, and that's like a shock for the system. It was for me. And uh, then depression and suicidal thoughts, pretty much every single person I've dealt with suicidal thoughts, and that's a sign of depression. And uh, if you don't deal with that, and especially when it comes to men, the, the rate of men actually committing suicide is so much higher than women. It's like night and day. It's an epidemic in this society. And then you, you do need to get help if you have these thoughts go through your head. It's not healthy. And you really need to have somebody else talk this through and help you through this process to move you through it. Yeah, you're right. A lot of guys don't want to do it because they, it's all about the ego. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. I'm, you know, I'm too tough for that. Off the podcast and a few more uh, questions. It's been such an awesome time talking with you, Joe, and hearing your story, hearing your, every single story is different and hearing how you dealt with these things and what kind of coping mechanisms do you have or developed through this process? My writing is my number one coping mechanism because I get to sit down, process, I get to write. And so I've got two different ways of doing it. Uh, I do a lot of it in my phone. If I'm on the throne and I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm just going to write down these thoughts. And so I started writing down all my thoughts in my notes on my iPhone and I'll think of something or something will trigger me. And I'm like, you know, I got to put this on paper and I'll just start writing it down on digital paper is what I call it. And then I started blogging it because even though I only have it, I don't have just like I have a huge following. If it reaches one person that's like, oh, I can relate to that because there's a lot of people that want to write too and they don't want to because they're scared of what other people will think. And they read, oh, well, Joe's going through a crappy time now too. And, and, and it, man, I can totally relate to your kids yeah. driving you nuts in the back of the car, screaming, throwing stuff at each other and shooting each other with Nerf guns. I know exactly <laughs> what that's, but they don't talk about it. So I keep them all and I'm going to make a book for my kids so that they can have those memories. And then I have a written journal, like an old school journal, like the old man journal where, where I'm going to write down my life story for it's my kids journal. because, right. And I, I wanted to do that because like my dad's life story is, I was adopted, but my dad's life story it's crazy. And I only know it through written through what he told yeah. me versus it being written down, but it's something that I would love to have. But then his dad, my granddad, who was like a World War II veteran, Korean veteran, he went through all this stuff. I'm like, I would love to know what it was like or to sit down and read what it was like for him growing up. And I'm going to do the same thing. But for my kids, a lot of times our kids don't know what it was like when we were kids. We talk about, I make fun of my kids about cell phones. We didn't have iPhones. So we had 
my dad's briefcase phone when yeah. I was growing up and pagers, but I, I'm going to write all that down so that when I die, they can, if they care to, they can sit back and read what it was like, like the stuff that I can remember as a kid. I wanted that to be something that they can have, but it's a coping mechanism for me because I get to process it. Like I get to process what's, what I'm thinking and what I'm going through and then uh, working out is, is probably my other coping mechanism. And it sounds crazy, but I do a boot camp in the morning at 5 a.m. and it sucks because I hate getting up at 5 a.m. But I do a lot of thinking when yeah. I'm working out and I do a lot of processing and I get a lot of the anger and the frustration from stuff out. And it's and it helps me to cope yeah. with that, with the anger and the and stuff like that, because it's got to go somewhere. Everybody's got that built up energy and it's got to go somewhere. I think that's uh, so good. And that's what my counselor told me too. So it's right on. Journaling, I didn't journal for a very long time. And then going through the divorce, a little bit before actually, I started journaling, writing down my thoughts, writing down things. And and it really helps because it's not necessarily that you might not never read it again, but to putting your thoughts down on paper, it's power in that. And uh, to formalize your thoughts is very helpful. And uh, physical exercise, everybody knows that's very healthy, especially when you go through traumatic uh, periods in your life. And to channel that anger, frustration, whatever it is, and also to have a good, healthy body is is great too. So, if there were more mountains in Dallas, which there aren't any, yeah. <laughs> if there were mountains in Dallas, I would climb them. I would because I would love hiking. But yeah. there's not too many places to hike around here. But it's not. But uh, it's. I love Texas. I, I come from a country, and I'm from Sweden. We have a lot of mountains. Love hiking, but I truly love Texas because of the people in general. But you have a lot of other opportunities. For example, mountain biking. I love mountain biking. There's so many mountain bike trails, awesome trails here in Dallas. And for me, biking is much better than running, for example, because it's less impact on your knees, etc. And that in combination with tennis, I played tennis in high school. I didn't play tennis for 30 years. I picked it up a few years ago and I love playing tennis. Such a great social sport too, to get to know people, get out there. And that's a lot about self-care too, to start doing the things that you like to do. And I saw a comment on one of your posts. It's important to get away and do the things that you love to do your thing, even though it might be a lot of, not a lot of time, but to have that time by you to take care of yourself because if you're not the kids are not going to be well the guilt is probably my biggest it, it's easy to feel guilty when you do that like if you have kids and sometimes that was one of the things i had to i'm still getting over i mean it's, it's for whatever reason just feeling guilty if i do something for myself versus like i took a, a solo trip to cabo yeah. the, the back in 2019 and i loved the trip i was by myself i just it was so nice to just be alone for a week and not have to deal with anything, but I still felt guilty because it's good and bad. Yeah. I got to, you got to get over the guilt when you're a single parent of doing things for yourself. Yeah. In Sweden, it's much more common that you have shared custody if both parents are healthy. And I know in your situation, it's quite difficult and, and different, but I've struggled with that here in Texas that it's much more common that one parent have the, the majority of the time and uh, it's rare I, for the dad. It's yeah, rare exactly. For the dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I've been a little bit back and forth. I understand that it's good for the kids to maybe have one home that they call home 
and then they can go and visit. That's called, why it's called in Texas visitation versus in, I think, all other states it's called something different. But I, I struggle with that. I think personally, I, I probably would be better if you have the shared custody I think, with the kids in most relationships. But I haven't come to a final conclusion on that, but <laughs> sounds good. But so about your future, you want to be, you want to own a restaurant? Is that what you want to do in the future? Yeah. So when I was in high school, I worked at a barbecue restaurant and didn't realize how much I enjoyed. I mean, absolutely love cooking. It's just my yeah. thing. And Women like that too. They like a man that can cook. But uh, yeah, I developed up this passion. I was going to open a restaurant. Like I, I was going to leave there. I was My original dream was to open a restaurant by the time I was 30 uh, because it's always been my passion. But I just didn't get a ride, joined the army, and life just took over from there. But it's definitely something that whenever my kids are a little bit more grown and out of the house, that's going to be my, I call it my retirement plan. I'm going to be like Tom Cruise on cocktail and I'm just going to live in on the beach and I'm going to cook food and, and serve drinks. And it's going to be my retirement plan because it brings me joy to cook for people. It's not like yeah. I, I love cooking, but I love the joy that other people, like cause people love food. Like everybody loves the food and I, I want to cook for people because I want to make people happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like cooking too. When I grew up, my dad was gone a lot and my mom had to take care of three boys and I was the oldest. So I had to take quite a bit of time helping out at home and I had to cook several times a week. I did all the grocery shopping throughout my teens, etc. So I had to take quite a big responsibility while I was a teenager. And it's pluses and minuses with that. I feel like I had to grow up a little bit too fast maybe and lost a little bit about that playing and etc. But it's definitely a big plus to know how to cook. I can totally relate. Yeah, I had a full-time job at 15. So. Yeah. It was, yeah, I grew up way too fast. Yeah. So to, to uh, end this podcast with a question, for somebody that's uh, going through what we've gone through, a, a divorce and are in the middle of it right now, what would your advice be? Or do you have any thoughts or comments to this person? Uh, a couple would be, I find authenticity to be extremely important. I find a lot of people choose not to be authentic, but I choose to be very authentic and that that brings on a lot of love and a lot of hate. But that's the great thing about like when I post stuff, I post exactly how I feel and exactly what my thoughts are, but I'm super authentic about it. And I think being authentic helps you to be who you're, who you are. I think being who you are is important. I think a lot of people, you always want to, if you're going through divorce or you're being a parent, you need to be true to who you are instead of trying to live inside a box because people want you to be inside a box or people will try to put you inside a box and you, and you can't be like that. Like you need to embrace your individuality. That's what I teach my kids. My youngest kid's actually transgender and that's a whole different story, but it, I teach my kids to embrace who they are as people just because you know, like I got a Buddhist, I got a Christian and I got a, you know, other kids transgender. It's, like, it, it's, we're just a mix of it, but it's all about embracing your individuality, who you are and being authentic to yourself because that's always going to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. Is your authentic version versus trying to live inside that, that box that people want you to live in? Because that's just going to bring on non-authentic. Yeah. Being yourself I, I agree hundred percent. And that's so awesome to hear you say that without me even talking about it, because what one of the most important things, and that's something that my ex-wife complained about me not being authentic, not being real, because 
I had so many masks up, pretending to have a good marriage when I didn't, pretending in many ways. And to be able to be you, I think that a lot of stems from you growing up, maybe in public school with bullying, with you trying to be this cool person when you don't feel like you can be yourself. And I, I grew up most of my life like that, trying to be somebody you're not. And going through a divorce, I had to deal with that. I had to start talking about my divorce, which I, I struggled with initially. I had so much shame about it. I didn't want to talk to, especially the people that was the closest. I didn't want to face them and, and show that I failed. But by me starting to talk about it, I actually released that shame. And uh, Brene Brown, you might have heard her, she's a shame researcher and she says, when shame wants you to be quiet of what you're ashamed of, but when you start talking about it, that shame is going to dissipate. And that's ex exactly what happened when I started sharing to people. Initially, I shared it with people that I didn't know. In, uh, in my first podcast, I, share, I started flying back and forth to Sweden and uh, just to learn how to connect deeply with people i started sharing about my divorce and then later on i realized oh the shame is gone about divorce so it was actually when i read Brene brown's book about it that i realized what had happened so i learned more about being authentic for my kids then and the kids can teach you stuff too i think a lot of people think, they think oh i'm the parent so i gotta teach everybody everything it's like no it's not my kids have taught me more over the last year about just with everything going on in the world. Like I've learned more from my kids and listening to them about being authentic and true and loving other people and accepting of other people. I've learned more from them than I, I think I've learned from adults because there, there's a lot you can actually learn from your kids. If you allow that, you're not always, you don't always have to be the authoritarian. I'm not the world's greatest parent, but at the same time, it's like you can learn from your kids just as much as they can learn from you. Absolutely. And that's when you develop that deep bond with your kids too. When you can be that, not only a parent, but being somebody that listens and then take note and value them. So, yeah, you love them for who they are yeah, and not who you want them to be. That's like yeah. my biggest thing in my house is love your kids for who they are, not who you want them to be because they're never going to be who you want them to be. Yeah, <laughs> It's just not going to awesome. happen. Hey, Joe, this has been such a, an honor to have you on the podcast. So much fun to talk to you. And uh, the Rockin' Life podcast is all about sharing stories like Joe's, sharing people that have gone through a difficult period in their life. And by hearing that story, I hope you as a listener, it will bring hope to start taking action, to start moving the, the sailboat forward, getting some wind in the sail, as I usually say, because then you can start steering that sailboat. You can't steer a sailboat that doesn't have any wind in the sail. It's just going to go in circles. And then whenever you start moving, that's when you can start steering it towards wherever goal you want. And you can turn this divorce or difficult period in your life into something beautiful. It's, it's, that's what I truly believe. Uh, you can make this very difficult time into something beautiful and starting to move in the right direction. Get the help you need. Ask people to get to support you through this process because you can't do it yourself, especially you guys. Lose that pride Go and ask for help. Go and get the counselor, get a coach, get a mentor and get that help you need, especially if you're going through a difficult divorce with a lot of strife. But even a, a regular divorce, I think you need the, the support. And uh, so having awesome uh, stories like this where you can hear that there are other people that have gone through the same thing that you have gone through and come out in a much better way. 
And uh, if you have any questions or if you have subjects you want to bring up on the podcast, you can leave a comment, send me an email to rockinglifepodcast at gmail.com or you can also in the notes below, you can click and record a message too. Uh, if you want to let me know how this, uh, the podcast impacted you. I love to hear those stories where you listeners have been encouraged by the podcast, etc. And it, it's really awesome to hear. So I really uh, love to hear from you. And we send every Monday. So thank you again, Joe, for being on. Yeah.